Last week, I went to a training held for the upcoming FSY conferences our church is holding for youth this summer. At the training, the comment was made that FSY, building on past years of experience and past decades of experience with EFY conferences, has been able to identify, specify, and incorporate elements of a powerful setting for youth to have spiritual experiences. Of course, youth can and should seek to have spiritual experiences on their own. But I was struck with what a powerful benefit it is to have such a structured experience set up for them to attend. In a similar vein, our temples, benefiting from centuries, even millennia of experience, are structured in such a way to help us have powerful revelatory experiences as we come closer to God. This week, as we study the end of Exodus and selections from Leviticus, we look at those specific elements and how we both can see them in our temple experience and incorporate them into our personal lives. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello and welcome. We are here to study with you this week in Exodus chapters 35 through 40, Leviticus 1, 16 and 19. And yes, just like last week, we will be skipping through quite a few chapters. And Probably a whole book in one day. Yeah, so. mixed with another, another book. Uh-huh. Um, and as Zach kind of mentioned last week when I wasn't here, thanks for doing that, by the way. You are welcome. You did it. And he, I have to say that I think that the story that you told last week was about 70% accurate. (laughs) I just thought people are going to think we're really lame if that's our only fight or the only way we. (laughs) Well, I don't remember if I mentioned the pot sticker battle of Costco of. You didn't specify the the pot stickers. The great pot sticker battle of 08. (laughs) Oh, good times. But yeah, so thanks. Zach took it solo last week, but we are back together this week. And like I said, skipping through a lot of chapters, but focusing all really on one um, subject. And that subject is the temple. And these are a lot of sections, chapters devoted to instructions of how the Israelites should be putting together their temple. Yeah. If you think about it, Moses comes down from the mountain, not just with law and commandments, but now uh, with specific practices and rituals to enshrine those laws and commandments uh, figuratively in the minds and hearts of the Israelites, but also literally in the tabernacle that will be constructed. It's helpful to understand in Israel the ritualistic uh, side and the moralistic side of ancient Israelite worship. So, This week's readings, uh, if you look at them, it it reads kind of like an Old Testament version of our handbook. It's not the most exciting reading, uh, and there's a lot of detail there, but it's something that outlines the rituals or the ritualistic side of Israelite worship. And in that ritualistic side, there is a scale, and you'll notice it as you read, a scale that goes on one end from unclean to or through clean and on the other end to holy. Now, on the ritual scale, that is not a description of anyone's goodness or rightness or morality. 
For example, there are animals that are unclean. That's not because those animals are evil. The unclean, clean, and holy are to keep things separate. However, there's also a moral side of Israelite worship. If you look at Leviticus, the first 16 or so chapters of Leviticus are all about the rituals, but the last 17, chapter 17 to 29, I think, uh, is where the book ends, are all about morals and moral laws. And so there is a parallel moral side to Israelite worship that similarly has unclean to or through clean and to holy. And what we want to do is focus on the holiness. To begin, we have to have a, a basic definition of what holy means. And so the one that we're going to use is a really simple one that just says that holiness, or when something is holy, it is set apart or set aside for a sacred purpose. Holy is something that is different on purpose and even on divine purpose. Now with our study this week, we see the formation of the tabernacle. And that's significant because up to this point, uh, the holy spaces in which Israel has found itself or which the patriarchs or the prophets have found themselves uh, are, are natural spaces. It was a mountain or it was a tent or it was uh, in the plains. But here the Lord gives them a specific structure, a confined area for their holy spaces and for holiness. And so we transition a bit in our thinking, at least the Israelites transition a bit in their thinking about holiness. And that'll be instructive to us as we consider our relationship with both structured holy places and unstructured holy places. Well, that's one reason I've kind of enjoyed, maybe I don't mean to say the monotony of these chapters, but the instruction that we found in these chapters, because I think it's shown the importance of that side of setting aside a sacred place for God, because I've always kind of struggled with that idea of, or wrestled with, I guess, um, what what's the balance between, because I certainly believe that God is in nature. I I go into the mountains, I go in into the forests, and I see that God is there, and I feel at peace. And so I feel a lot of those similar feelings, and I certainly believe that also that God, you know, we teach the Bible, the chapters that we have studied already this year have taught us that God is everywhere. He leads us in the wilderness and he's with us. Um, so I think it's been a lot, it's caused a lot of thoughts for me um, to kind of solidify the need of, or maybe the added bonus of having a set apart holy place like this. And I like that we, um, kind of have all of these instructions to see this fine-tuned process that God leads his people through so they have this set-apart place. And that's ultimately what we have in our Latter-day temples that we build today is a place that's there and ready for us to participate, to experience holiness in a very sacred and set-apart way. In fact, we're going to do that in this episode because the layout of the tabernacle illustrates the progress from uncleanness to holiness. It's intended to help us progress from uh, a worldly state to a holy state, from being uh, connected to the world around us to being separated for a spiritual reason. And so we can think of, of this holiness, certainly that's part of um, what the temple and these rituals 
offer and that also that holiness is spaces that we can create for ourselves too. So with that in mind, I wanted to actually read something from Sister Carol McConkie's talk. This is from 2017, and this was linked in the Come Follow Me manual this week. And I remember loving this talk for this reason of this idea of creating holy holy spaces for ourselves. So it's called The Beauty of Holiness, and she gives a definition of of what holiness is. So I'm going to read that. Holiness is in the striving and the struggle to keep the commandments and to honor the covenants we have made with God. Holiness is making the choices that will keep the Holy Ghost as our guide. Holiness is setting aside our natural tendencies and becoming a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Every moment of our lives must be holiness to the Lord. Um, so I just like the way that that sets this up. Certainly every moment of our, of our lives we can be dedicating and we can be seeking the Lord. But the beauty that comes as we set aside to an even greater degree um, our, our temple worship, our temples that we go in today, and as we walk through the, the tabernacle that the Israelites were building and that we get to study this week, um, I think that we can learn from these instructions and learn from the process that they went to how we can more fully create those holy places for us. So here's the scriptural commandment. This is Leviticus 19, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the previous chapter, he spells out exactly what that means to be holy. Verse 3 in chapter 18. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, you shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, you shall not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he will live in them. I am the Lord. At the very end of chapter 20, he says, You shall be holy unto me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that you shall be mine. So if that's what holiness means, to be separated or severed for a sacred purpose, to be set apart for something sacred, for God's intent, and to your point, Krista, if holiness requires effort, not just on God's part as he calls us to something divine or sets us aside for sacred purpose, but on our part to separate ourselves from those things in the world that might uh, hold us back from being holy. And the question we ask this week as we study is, how can I create more holy places or holy times in my life? And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the tabernacle because each element of the tabernacle, as you said, is intent on helping Israel move a little bit closer to holiness, to separate themselves uh, and to become closer to God. Similarly, our temple worship does something uh, similar for us. It helps us to separate ourselves and to become holy. So we're going to look at each element in the tabernacle, connect it to our own temple worship, and then see if there's something from those two great models that we could take even into our personal private life where we could create some more holy places. So you have probably seen the pictures. If not, it's kind of fun to go into. I know in your Come Follow Me manual, they have little diagrams of what the 
tabernacle of the temple looked like. Um, and you can see little maps that will kind of label some of these parts that we're going to, some of these, uh, what's the word, features that we're <laughs> going to look at. But um, it's cool to look at what the symbolism, where they are, and that's kind of what inspired our study today. And so the first thing that you get to when you walk through is the laver, and that is, it's kind of a little wash basin that they use to prepare and to wash. And I like the idea of this being kind of the first thing upon entry. It, to me, represented this preparation that you experience. And I think as we think about our own preparations, um, we don't necessarily, well, we probably do wash our hands now and maybe we even mask now if we need to, but um, that we have similar preparations and those can be years in the making. Um, I'm even thinking of my own son who this year went through and went through the temple went and did baptisms for the first time this year and thinking that that is really just a preparatory step, almost like those baptisms are, it's a separate part of the temple um, and it's a way that they can be prepared for when they step into the other walls of the temple. So even when you're young, you can begin to prepare for the temple or perhaps you're preparation looks different. You're older and you're entering the temple at a different time, but that we have these steps or these um, ways that we prepare ourselves to enter the temple. And I, th I thought, you know, last week um, in Zach's episode, he talked about the patience part of that. And I think that's also an important part of that is sometimes maybe we don't want to go through the preparations or don't want to wash our hands, but they are an important part of the experience that we have in the temple. In fact, I we um, we uh, the the church is kind of a buzz right now with the dedication of the Washington D.C. temple coming up in the open houses, and so there's been a lot of media attention on the D.C. temple, and so I've seen a lot of discussions around the temple. And one of the questions that comes up quite often, both from those outside our faith, but even from some inside the faith, is why are there so many? Why are there such stringent requirements in order to enter the temple? Um, Sometimes this is phrased pretty critically from our own church members that will say, I don't think it's fair that uh, there's a limit on entering the temple, that they're, that we're barring certain people from entering the temple because they don't uh, meet these specific standards. And if you viewed the temple recommend questions and that as something uh, external to the temple, then maybe that argument would make more sense. But if you view that as part of the temple experience, not something in, uh, outside of it, but something integral to it, uh, then it makes more sense, especially understanding that the temple is something we go through to help us uh, create holiness in our life, help us to connect to God. And just like those steps that I mentioned, you know, my son, as he prepares, it's these steps that those those temple interview questions or those things help prepare us and prepare our hearts and our minds for making the covenants and for growing closer to, to God. So it makes me think then if we're looking at the tabernacle that has the labor and then we're looking at the temple that has preparatory steps to it, and then we look at our own lives, how do we incorporate patience and preparation in creating holy spaces? What kind of preparations do I need to make in order to carve out a holy space in my home or or a holy time in my daily schedule. Which leads to the next part of that outer court of the tabernacle. 
uh, which is the altar uh, the where they offered their burnt offerings, um, it connects to the laver. And this is a place where they came with the different various animals. They had their five different major offerings that the Israelites would give from burnt offering to an atonement offer, or sin offering or a guilt offering. There's a peace or fellowship offering and there's a grain offering as well. So they'd bring these different offerings and they served specific purposes. Um, a burnt offering was the most general. You could offer it in, uh, to enhance your petition to God or in praise to him. Whereas a sin offering was something that was offered to, to atone for a specific sin or transgression. But whatever the offering was, it involved sacrifice. I'm bringing something that belongs to me and probably something that matters to me. And I'm laying it upon the altar and sacrificing. In our temples today, sacrifice is a very integral part of temple service and temple worship. From donating tithing for the construction of temples to the donation of time to travel to and participate in temple ordinances. Um, I'm, <laughs> I have complained about this to you multiple times, but I've, I've often said, boy, I wish there was some kind of like a, a speed temple. And I'm chastised by the spirit or by someone else that it's not supposed to be a speedy experience. We don't go to the temple just to get something done. We go to the temple uh, to sacrifice our time so that we can have a sacred space. I don't know who chastised you, but I don't know that it was me. I might have had the same <laughs> desire, but it makes sense. It's a good reminder for probably many of us. So I think about then our personal lives. If that's the model in the tabernacle and in the temple, then uh, the question we ask ourselves is, what is it that I need to sacrifice so that I can create a holy space or a holy time in my life? And it might be something that's cherished. Uh, if it's creating holy time, it might be giving up something that I like to do, something that uh, occupies my time, and I need to give that up in order to create a holy time that I can uh, be together with the Lord. So and then after those two, we walk into the temple and there's the menorah on one side, the candles. And then on the other side, there's that table of shoe bread. Um, and we were kind of talking about this and thinking that one interpretation of this might be um, the chapel as we're sitting in the chapel when we first arrive at the temple after changing into our temple clothes is that it's kind of this time where we rest and pause in this area. Yeah. And these are two interesting symbols because there's a lot of interpretations. But at the very least, the sacred lampstand symbolizes with its fire and smoke symbolizes the spirit. And that table of shoe bread symbolizes fellowship with God or with others. Um, there's a rich history in Israel of food or eating food symbolizing fellowship. In fact, one of the offerings that Israel offered, the peace offering or the fellowship offering, was the only offering where uh, the priest and the person bringing the offering would eat the food together. And so in this, in the holy place, in the tabernacle proper, you have these two symbols on either side symbolizing God's spirit and our fellowship with him. And so, yeah, we were talking before about, well, what is this in the temple? And it could be a lot of different places. But for me, um, I actually really like the chapel experience. It's a place where it reminds me of just our weekly worship services, even though we don't take the sacrament in the, in the temple in that, in that chapel setting. 
but it reminds me of of that moment to be peaceful and calm and private and to feel like I have a bit of fellowship with the Lord before I come to the temple. It's a place where I often will ask my questions and think about what it is that I'm going to focus on as I go through the temple. And so I think uh, in the tabernacle and in the temple, it's important that there's this place of fellowship with the Lord. And uh, and then in our own lives, a great question to ask is, uh, what places can I have those kind of, of chapel-like experiences where I can feel the Spirit and maybe have fellowship with God. Well, I really like the order of that, even as you enter in, you've got the preparation with the labor, and then you've got the sacrifice and the altar and offerings. Um, And that's kind of what we do if we're linking that to our modern day experience, the preparation, the sacrifice, the offerings that you give in order to get there and to spend your time there. And then we have this... um, I don't know, because I always picture if we're liking it to the chapel, like we mentioned, um, usually we're rushing in, changing your clothing and getting to the temple. And then that chapel is kind of the first place where you get to rest a little bit and realize and be excited for and prepare for where you are. And so I kind of like the order that those end up being for even for us today. Yeah. The final element in that holy place before we enter the Holy of Holies is the altar of incense right before the veil. If you remember when Christ was on the cross and uh, right after he died, the record says that the veil of the temple was torn, which means at least that veil symbolizes Christ. He is our mediary with the Father. Um, He helps us to progress into the Father's presence. I love that the veil is a veil, not a a door or a lock and key uh, vault. It's meant to be passed through, but it's also meant uh, to create a bit of pause. And then in front of that, if, if that's what the veil symbolizes, then there's an altar of incense right in front of the veil where incense is burned continuously and it It ascends upward, symbolizing our prayers ascending up to God. Now, that uh, juxtaposition of the veil representing Christ right in front of the holy place representing the presence of God, and then this altar symbolizing prayer, uh, I think can teach us something really important about creating holy spaces. A couple of years ago, Elder Holland and President Eyring did a face-to-face with youth event, and it's one of my favorite face-to-faces that has been done because they were so um, relaxed in their conversation with the youth. As the questions came in, they joked a bit. They were very real about their own experiences. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to listen to this, um, but if you in that link, if you go to minute 37 and 55 seconds, you'll hear a really fascinating discussion of prayer. The question is asked, How can I pray to God? How can I improve the quality of my prayers? Talk to him like he's my friend. And uh, there was the the first person to respond was President Eyring. And it was a little bit surprising what he shared because the first thing he said was a caution about being casual. He said, even though Heavenly Father is our Father, um, he is also the King of heaven and earth. He is God. And when we talk to him, um, we should put thought and effort into that communication. Elder Holland then seconded that uh, and added, of course, the balancing comment that there are, you can't always put 
a lot of thought and effort in your prayer. There are some times when our prayers might be a little more rushed or a little more hurried. But he says, but some of our prayers should not be rushed or hurried. Some of them should be as if we are approaching the throne of God, where we have put time and effort into our preparation and then devote significant time and effort into that prayer experience where we listen to God, take time to express to him our thoughts and our feelings, and then to hear what he has to say. And I love that description of an approach the throne of God type of prayer. Um, I can bear a little bit of testimony to this because since they've taught this, I've tried it. And it is, uh, it's a wonderful experience to find a space and some time where you can have an approach the throne of God type of prayer. Um, and so I think that's a great example of something we learned in the tabernacle. Uh, there's wonderful places in the temple for that and then something we can do in our personal lives. And last up, but certainly not least, um, is the Ark of the Covenant. And speaking of all of these preparatory steps, all of these things that we did, like the veil, in order to enter into God's presence, here we are at the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God, being in his presence, understanding and seeing him. And it also is part um, part of his covenants, and his commandments are in that space. It allows us to make promises with him, um, and he promises with us too. And he gives us his commandments. We learn and we follow and we grow with him. Um, I love the idea of that, really that beauty that we see as we enter into God and these preparatory steps and these methods and these patterns and these instructions that these people followed as they as they learned how to build the tabernacle. And part of me wondered as we read through these instructions this week, um, as I mentioned before, what, why so many things? And maybe we, I know that this is something that a lot of people talk about today too, is, you know, there's the buildings, they're big buildings, and there's so much that we do to um, maintain these. But I think for me this week in this study, it helped me to see that this is a pattern that God has always used in in his dealings with his people. He wants us to grow close to him. And sometimes it takes this extra steps or this fine-tuned process that we have. So it was fun for me to read through the process that they went through, not only to build it, but then as we studied um, in this study today about what each of these things means and how they can help us prepare and liken it to our experience today. Um, as we began our study in Exodus chapter 35, the thing that I, I noticed as they began to pray was, as they began to prepare, um, was the skilled artisans that they collected. They collected people that knew what they were doing. They wanted the best in this temple because they wanted to show the best to God. Um, and it mentions too here in, this is again, um, now in chapter 36. So Moses summoned Bezalel, Oholiab, and P.S. here. I just wanted to read this scripture so I could read those names. Um, but really, so it says, I'll continue. And every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom and all whose heart moved them to come to the work and to do it. So not only that preparation beginning as they built these holy spaces and dedicated these each of these specific things to a specific person purpose, um, I think we can see that 
the preparations that we ourselves put into as we enter into the temple or as we prepare holy places for ourselves, that there is beauty to be found because it's a place that we're creating that we can meet God and that he can be there for us and help create beauty in our lives, whether that's in our home somewhere or in our backyard, or whether that is that we're making it to a a physical temple to have that experience. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope it's a great study for you. We hope it's a great week. We'll see you next time.